May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So happy Harvest Festival. It's nice to have you all here to help celebrate it. Harvest Festival's been around for a long time. Our reading from Deuteronomy is all about origins of harvest festivals, giving thanks to God, not only for the harvest, but uh, remembering all that God has done, taking this group of people who had been slaved and poorly treated in Egypt and bringing them out of that land and into the promised land. A time of gratitude. And Pope Francis in his encyclical Laudate Si encourages us all to cultivate that attitude of gratitude all year by saying grace every time we have a meal and not only giving thanks for the meal but all those involved in bringing that meal to our table. It's also a time of celebrating. So March, April around Aotearoa, New Zealand, there are a number of harvest festivals I found out yesterday uh, that celebrate and enjoy the fruit of the harvest, eating the produce, drinking the beer and the wine and the cider and the non-alcoholic drinks, enjoying good music and just taking in the country vibe. And several of them also offer seminars and workshops on how to grow food and how to do that sustainably. So they are great celebrations. So why are we doing a harvest festival? Apart from Clark said we should, so we are. So that's one good reason. But what are some other reasons that we are holding a harvest festival? Have a chat to your neighbour for a moment and think about that. Why are we holding a harvest festival? Why are we celebrating harvest festivals? What did you come up with? Yeah. So in terms of, do you want to expand that a bit more? Um, not just locally, but what's the um, war in Ukraine, thinking about the grain harvest there, and the effect, flow of effect that's happening throughout the world. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling gratitude. We have, we have so much when millions around the world have so little. That's true. Terrible. that more life in the developed world, we tend, food, we tend to think of food as just going to be there, um, and often it's not. Mm. Yeah, there was a on Facebook. There, they have all sorts of crazy stuff on Facebook. There was responses from various people about our food shortages, and someone was talking about um, there is this food shortage, food shortage because you know the, they're struggling with the farm, and somebody said. That's ridiculous. You don't get milk from there. You get it from the supermarket store. <laughs> there are a lot of people who don't understand where our food comes from. Yeah. I was talking to my daughter last night in, in Germany, and she says that there is a lot less vegetables and things available now with the Ukraine. Oh, yeah. That's having a real impact. I mean, we're feeling it. Every time you go to the petrol pump. <laughs> That's, uh, that's, that's the Ukraine war and petrol and the fuel companies raking up the price of oil. Making, they're all, they're all um, registering record profits while we pay all that extra pump. Mm. Yep. I like that all this food is going to be donated to food banks. 
Yeah. So it's an opportunity for us as well to, to be generous and to think about all of those things. So harvest festivals are important, uh, even if some of us aren't great gardeners and aren't farmers. And somebody did ask why we're we doing it now, and the real reason is because there was a hole at this point of the year, so we could put it here, uh, and April is way too busy uh, with other things. But also, this is the end of the kiwi fruit harvest, and there's a whole lot of other things that have actually come to an end. So we are giving thanks for the harvest that has been this year. It's also Matariki. Uh, and so that's an interesting thing, because one of the things about Matariki is uh, for Naiwi or Toronga Moana, when this cluster of stars appears on the horizon and not all the iwi around Aotearoa um, see this cluster of stars, but when they do here, that's, among other things, uh, a sign that it's time to prepare the land to plant the kumara. So it's right at the other end. It's not the harvest, it's actually preparation for the planting so that there might be a harvest. And that's a, that's a really good thing to remind us that actually for us to have a harvest, we need to care for this world, we need to care for this land, uh, God's great gift to us, and that we can't continue to just think that it will produce the food we want endlessly because it won't. And some of our current farming practices are actually harming the soil, and there will come a point where that soil will no longer produce the food that we require because the soil isn't just dirt, it's a living community of organisms and we are slowly destroying that community. So we need to think about how we farm and lots of farmers are doing that and how we can do that in ways that will allow the soil to continue to produce the food we want and, uh, and we can all enjoy the fruits of the harvest. So it's a, it's a good thing that we are having this at Matariki. It holds those two things in tension. Last week we did uh, Trinity Sunday, and I think um, for many people Trinity Sunday is something that you endure. Some people don't come to church on Trinity Sunday. Gooley nearly didn't come last Sunday. She knew it was Trinity Sunday. Uh, and lots of preachers dread it, and we kind of get through it, and then we have a big sigh of relief and we think thank goodness for that we don't have to think about the Trinity again for another year and we can just get on with our bog standard heresies so uh, but I actually think Trinity is important and how we think of God as Trinity uh, has something to say about for example harvest festivals so what do I mean by that well, last week we watched a very good video uh, by Lutheran satire uh, with St. Patrick trying to use all kinds of bad analogies to describe the Trinity, to make the Trinity more understandable. And it turned out that every single one of them was a heresy that had been condemned by one council or another. And as I was thinking about that, uh, as I watched the video, I mean, one of the things that struck me was that a lot of those ways of trying to make more God more understandable also almost depersonalize God and make God kind of distant and hierarchical and uh, watching us from a distance, as Bette Midler teaches us in her song. Uh, 
And that kind of sets up this hierarchy that we can then say, well, God is the boss and we do what God, what we should do or what we shouldn't do. Uh, but then there are people who are the boss on behalf of God. Uh, and there's all sorts of groups who claim to be at the top. And in the end, we treat this world as something that we own and that we can use as we like because actually our theology says that that's okay. And in the West, our theology has said that for a long time, that we are the boss of the world and we can do whatever we like to this creation because God gave it to us, this distant God that is far away. The Trinity, I think, offers a different way of understanding this. And there are a number of people who would suggest that rather than trying to get our heads around the technicalities of the Trinity, it's much more important to think about the relationship within the Trinity, the relationship between the three persons of the Trinity, who are co-eternal and co uh, equally important. So they have all existed. The Father didn't come first and beget the Son. That's Arianism. Uh, all three persons of the Trinity have been beyond time and are of equal importance in unity. That's what that last passage from St. Patrick that I put in the pew sheet is all about. Uh, so what, what would, how would we describe that relationship within God, with, between the persons of the Trinity? What words would we use to describe that? Symbiotic. Symbiotic. There you go. That's a good way to start. What about some other words? Uncomprehending. Uncomprehending. Uncomprehending or incomprehensible? So, just so, doesn't, doesn't personally affect me, but I, I just accept it. Okay. Well, we'll have a crack at that. So, <laughs> at the back. Interconnectedness. Any others? Unity. Unity. And omnipotent. And omnipotent. Omnipotent. Yeah. What about some other words? Love. Love. There we go. Love. So that's a that's an important word. And Saint Augustine of Hippo, who is one of our great Trinitarian theologians described God or used the names God, the lover, the beloved, and the love between. But different from our normal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Other people uh, use sourceable being, eternal word, and, ho and Holy Spirit. So love. Now, uh, I, I found this on the internet, and I kind of used this icon but this time I thought, I wonder what the word Ubuntu means. So I go, it's kind of just happened to be there, really. And I looked it up on the internet, and I found out that Ubuntu is a Bantu word that means humanity. And Bantu is the collection of languages that exist in southern Africa. So it covers quite a few uh, languages. And I have no idea how 
uh, those languages relate to each other because one of them is Zozo, which is, uh, I didn't know that I said that properly, and that's the clicking language and how that relates to Zulu, I have no idea, but however they are all related. Ubuntu uh, was a term that uh, Desmond Tutu used a lot in his Truth and Reconciliation work. And one of the ways of translating it is, I am because we are. Or I am because you are. So thinking about that in terms of the Trinity. Each person of the Trinity is because the other two persons are as well. One of the South African writers, Barbara... Oh, now I have to find it. It's in here somewhere. Barbara Nussbaum uh, says that Ubuntu is the capacity in African culture to express compassion, reciprocity, dignity, harmony, and humanity in the interests of building and maintaining community with justice and mutual caring. Whoever painted this icon was applying Ubuntu to the relationship within God and is flying out from God. So what does that mean? That means Ubuntu is exists within God that, and it's a term that expresses the compassion, the reciprocity, the dignity, the harmony and the humanity that exists within God and between the persons of the Trinity in the interests of building and maintaining the community that is the Trinity with justice and mutual caring. And in fact, if you read Trinitarian theologians, those are exactly the terms they use to describe the relationship within the Trinity. Not as something that's beyond our comprehension and far, far away, but those kinds of words exist within the Trinity. So why is that important? It means, or can mean, if I want, every time I encounter a relationship that is loving, at a very basic level, or that expresses compassion, or reciprocity, or dignity, or harmony, or humanity, any time I experience a relationship that builds and maintains community with justice and mutual caring, I am experiencing God. God is not out there. God is here in those relationships. Those relationships have as their source the Ubuntu that exists within the heart of God and that is shared with all of humanity. Now I think that is exactly what Jesus was on about all through the Gospels. It was on about hierarchy. It was on, wasn't on about trying to teach us about a God who was far away and looking at us from a distance that was incomprehensible. God was saying, he was saying, you meet God in me. And then he went around and he built all kinds of relationships with people. And through those relationships sought to build and maintain communities based on justice and mutual caring. And we can see that in today's story, but actually we can see that throughout all four Gospels. That was 
the relationship at the heart of the Trinity being lived out in Jesus and shared with us all. And Paul got that. Now, Paul wasn't a Trinitarian because Trinitarians didn't exist when the Bible was written. They were still trying to get their heads around all of this. But if we read passages like Galatians, like I know a lot of people think Paul's a little bit legalistic and quite conservative. And I want to tell you that Paul was not conservative. In fact, people did not like him because he was too radical. In his arguments with people in his letters, he was arguing against the conservatives. The conservatives were saying, you need to obey the law. And Paul was going, nah, we don't anymore. We can move on. And they were saying, you can't have Jews and Gentiles eating together because that breaks the law. Jews have to eat kosher, Gentiles can eat whatever they like. And Paul was going, yeah, actually we can. So he was a radical. And why was he radical? Because he had been caught up in this relationship that exists within the Trinity. He was much more about compassion, reciprocity, dignity, harmony and humanity that built and maintained community with justice and mutual caring. He wasn't about hierarchy. And that allowed him then to say, those hierarchies have gone. So there were lots of people who said, God is out there, God is all important, we the Jews are God's people, we obey the law, and that means we're very important and more important than everyone else, and so we will stay together and be holy. I mean, the Jews are not the only ones, but they were the ones in this, in this context that were doing that. And so we cannot share our life with Gentiles. And Paul was saying, those distinctions have gone. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. Why? Because in this relationship that exists within the Trinity that we are being caught up into and invited to live out, there can't be those kinds of distinctions. We are all in this together, building and maintaining community. No longer Jew nor Greek, no longer male or female. I mean, people say, you know, Paul's a conservative and only men can be in charge and they had the headship. Like, yes, there are a couple of times in Paul's letters you can read that, but when you read stuff like this in Galatians, you, you really have to struggle to hold those two things together. No longer male and female, no longer slave nor free. I mean, essentially, he's attacking the foundations of Roman society and Jewish society, which are built on all of those. Why? I think, even though he wasn't a Trinitarian, he was living out of this relationship that exists within God and applying that to his life because he'd experienced it and then to all his relationships. God isn't distant somewhere else. God is involved in the everydayness of our everyday lives and inviting us to be open to that possibility and then to live in ways that this kind of relationship can be spread with others as well. In the last few years, I've used some writing by Mari Bodo, a Franciscan friar and a storyteller from the United States, and he writes from a really deeply Trinitarian place. 
He writes, St Francis shows us how inseparable the bond is between concern for nature, which is kind of what we're doing today, justice for the poor, which we've also talked about, commitment to society, and inner peace. He goes on to describe inner peace as an awareness that God is, and that God dwells in all of creation. And he later talks about creation being a place of Trinitarian relating rather than hierarchical relating. Being a place where the laws are based on relationship and not on ownership. If we have a hierarchy, then people can own stuff and do with it whatever they like. In a Trinitarian world, we relate because we are all in this together where the laws are based on nurturing rather than overpowering and subduing. This world is created by and out of the God who is the lover, the beloved, and the love between. And this world is held in this relationship of mutuality, compassion, completeness, Ubuntu. So, how does that help us celebrate harvest festivals. Well, it invites us to think about what are the relationships, what kind of relationships do we have with the food, with the world that produced the food, and the people who produce the food for us. It invites us, yes, to give thanks and to be grateful to God for God's goodness and generosity and for creation that provides the food that sustains us, and also all those involved in bringing this food to our plate, which includes the farmers in this land and overseas. And not all those farmers are well treated. And some of the things, some of our luxury items like that, is it luxury? Coffee and chocolate are some of the things where the farmers are paid the least. And while Coffee prices soar around the world. None of that gets back to the growers. It goes in the pockets of the middlemen who are making a vast profit out of life. Exactly the same as oil. Same with chocolate, cocoa. Cocoa. It also invites us to think about what kind of relationship we have with those who bring the food to us, all those involved in transport, both here and in overseas. And in the past, Clark has talked about uh, the work of the seafarers' mission with the seafarers and how poorly treated so many of them are. Poorly paid, poor conditions, uh, and how uh, uncertain their lives are. And lastly, we can think about all those who work in the shops in this country some of whom are not well treated by some of the customers and some of whom are not well treated by their employers. And all of those people, all of those people over the last two years have continued to work to make sure that we have the food that we need or want uh, and that we are giving thanks for today. They have continued to struggle while some of us have been able to isolate and stay home. So I wonder how we live 
out of this Trinitarian relationship then, this mutuality, this compassion, this care that exists within the Trinity and is offered to us all that flows out of the Trinity into creation, how we live that in a way that offers that to all those people. Those who make the food, those who transport the food, those who process the food, those who sell the food. How do we live with Ubuntu? How do we live in ways that do not add to the poverty of others? How do we live in ways that honour our relationship with all of these people and our relationship with this world that God has given us so that they and this world might thrive and flourish? What are the ways that we can do that as we celebrate the harvest? So, give you a couple of minutes to have a conversation with the people around you about how you might do that. And then we will uh, use one of our creeds to affirm our faith in the, in the God who calls us into this kind of relating and to take note of these relationships. Mm -hmm.